Uh, Darren couldn't be with us tonight. He, he was in Palm Vista. He was leading worship down there. It's four hours away or so, but he wishes he was here. So guys, uh, any new faces? Thank you for being here. Hope you're blessed tonight. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we ask for your help tonight. We ask that you would uh, teach us and, and really speak uh, through your word and give us um, more clarity on how to have uh, conversations and to bring honest um, answers to the questions that our friends and family and relatives and even just neighbors that we, we meet um, help us to bring the gospel in. May it transform. I pray that tonight you would, 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 would show us how to do that better. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, guys, um, tonight's topic is Does God Exist? And we're always promoting books around here, I think. Uh, last week, David pro- uh, Darren promoted uh, David Helm's book, a one-to-one Bible reading. And um, then before that was Tactics by Greg Kokel. And tonight is one of my favorite books, uh, The Gospel Primer. And in this book, we're gonna ha- we have some in the Resource Center uh, next door, if you'd ever like to take a look at it. But it it talks about what is the gospel. Then it has the story. That's where we've got the the whole storyline of the Bible in there. And then your gospel story, gospel listening, four eternal truths. And really it shows how to bring in the story of the gospel into conversation uh, naturally. And to show people where maybe they're uh, trusting in false saviors and how to bring in the savior. And maybe where people are complaining about, let's say, the fall, where things are broken in this world. Well, how we can share how we understand how this is a broken world based off the Bible and then how we can connect right where they're at in conversation or where they're struggling and bring in the truths of the gospel story right in a conversation. So this really is a helpful tool, a lot of good questions, and uh, give it a look, okay, if you get a chance. This is uh, one, of our, one of three resources for Commission. And uh, if you guys don't know, Commission is actually uh, the campus ministry that I'm part of. Some of these guys here tonight are uh, at USF St. Pete. And really, tonight's talk was designed um, for some students on campus. Uh, Does God exist? It's a common question that everyone asks. Uh, I think that if we're honest, the people in the coffee shops, our friends, relatives, family members, really a good starting point if they're apathetic uh, toward toward believing in anything or even looking into um, should they believe a good place to start is well let's see if God exists and then what are you going to do about it so where is the evidence for God are are Christians delusional I mean really are we just praying and worshiping air a non-believer or a not yet believer I like to say would actually ask that question are they just are they just crazy is it all about blind faith is it blind faith well we know it's not blind faith right But we want to show our friends that this stuff matters. And I want to show you a path to lead people down to where they're confronted with the decision. Not not a a non-issue. So it's not just a non-issue where it's like, well, maybe God's around and I'm just going to relax and I'll figure it out one day, maybe when I die. You guys ever heard someone say that? When I die, I'll find out. But we want them to be face-to-face, just head-on with the decision to make. And so hopefully through this kind of conversational um, talk, we'll be able to bring them. You guys will take a nugget or a little, a little 
something away that when you're in conversation with your friend that you love dearly, you just cannot get motivated to look into the things of God, maybe this will get them there. So the question is, are you satisfied? Are they satisfied? Do, do they have reasons why they believe what they believe? Do we? We have to be honest with ourselves. I mean, we, we need to be ready to defend this, this, this hope that we have in the gospel. And so the question tonight is, can we find evidence for God? Does he exist? And it shouldn't be, can we find evidence for God? Because here's my assumption I'm going to go on tonight. Is that if there is a God, there is a God, he would want to make himself known. And it shouldn't be complicated. It shouldn't be, well, what you believe is good for you and what I believe is good for me. It shouldn't be, um, if God is God, I won't find him. I can't find him. I'll find out one day. He wouldn't have a thousand faces created by uh, men. right? He wouldn't have, by the way, that's a book by Joseph Campbell. It's actually funny, it's my father-in-law's name. But it, it, it's this book, 10,000 Faces of Jesus, 1,000 Faces of Jesus, and that's what it looks like. It's like there's a different uh, face of God wherever we go. Different religions, different beliefs, different shapes of Jesus, different ways that he looks. But I think that God would not want to be distorted. And I don't think it's like trying to follow or find evidence. Like, uh, you guys ever watch CSI, you know, and they're trying to find that little DNA fragment, and it's like, oh, man, we've got to use all this technology to find it. And it's just, or like, uh, you guys ever watch House? House is, my wife Becca is one of her favorite shows. You watch it like crazy. And House, you know, House is so uh, skilled at finding these hard-to-figure-out um, problems, but if God's real, if he exists, it shouldn't be like that, right? It should be easy. What's the problem? I mean, I would think someone would say, then everyone would believe in God, Ryan. If it's that easy, right? What's the hook? Right? Let's be honest. What's the hook? And I think that God is clearly revealed, yet for someone to submit their life, it's different than any other decision they'll ever make. I mean, it, it means, and this is what we could tell our friends. We could say, look, I get it. To consider God, that decision to actually, that would mean you would have to follow him. So every decision you ever make would change based off of that one decision. That's huge. And that's weighty. And that's hard. Because that means change. Following God of the universe means a radical life and mind change. And we know this. And that's why it's common for people to demand every answer and every piece of evidence. And so we have to come into this knowing that it's, it's hard. And many don't seek just because this following is something that demands their life and they know it. And lastly, we want to be, the problem is our friends or even us, we want to be like masters of our own destiny. We want to be like God. I control. I make the rules, right? It's hard to think otherwise. We're kind of wired that way. And we do know we're in a depraved world. And what was the first, first thing in the garden? They wanted to be like God. Our friends are struggling with that. We've struggled with that. Even daily, we, we have to come to this, this submission before God. But by God's grace, and we know this, there could be change. By God's grace, he has been revealed to us. And then by God's grace, we've actually been able to submit to him, to follow him and do it with rejoicing. As Jerry said today, do it with rejoicing. So I've got three things. The outline tonight is God's clearly shown to us in three ways. One is creation. 
Two is history. And three is truth claims. Now this sequence of outline acts as kind of a funnel toward identifying who God is exactly. And I think it helps to reach the seeker as well as the apathetic non-seeker. Okay, I think, it, I think at the end it calls for a decision to either follow or reject God. I think that's what we want. In our culture, it's very easy to consider every idea that is out there and never make a decision, right? We want them to be confronted with the truth that is there. As friends, we want to bring that to them. Um, I have a friend. His name is Juan. I hope to see him here one day. And I met him on campus, and he actually, we have Bible studies from time to time on campus, actually a lot. And one day he came, and it was me, uh, the girl leading the Bible study, and Juan just, and I'm like, well, there's no one here today. Um, What do we do? And all all of a sudden, you know, we're just kind of chatting, talking about the week and things, and all of a sudden Juan walks in. He's like, well, I guess I'll study the Bible with you guys today or something. Never been in there before, never really talked to him, I don't think. Long story short, we go through, some, go through the Bible, and at the end, he's like, yeah, that was nice. And I'm like, what's up, man? Where are you at? What are your spiritual beliefs? I don't know. I don't really have any. Yeah. He's just kind of walking, waste, you know, just trying to, it seems like his life was just floating in the wind, you know, just whatever. I said, man, do you believe that God even exists? And he's like, I don't know. And so it got me thinking. I was like, well, can I share with you why I think God exists? So I use these three points. Creation, history, and truth claims. Sometimes we'll do this other thing called question for a Coke. And, and students will walk up and, and we'll be like, hey, can we ask you a question for a Coke? They're like, yeah, I'll take a Coke. We're like, cool, all right, so, so does God exist? And they're like, do you think God exists, we ask them. And they say, yes or no. And whatever they say, then we give them a Coke. And then hopefully, you know, when we ask them a question, we're like, can we ask you some more questions? <laughs> and they're like, okay. And they sit there and drink the Coke, hopefully. So we know we got enough time for as they drink the Coke to talk with them. And one common question is, or does God, how do you know God exists? I remember Katie sitting right here. She's talking, she's talking to some students and there's like three or four girls lined up around me and they're like, how do you know God exists? Next thing you know, I'm sharing with them and there's like two or three more that gather and I'm just sharing why I think God exists. And this really seems to bring them to a, a point where they can really come face to face with God and, and, and the, in the issues that are at hand. So follow with me. So number one, creation. Creation actually reveals Yahweh. When we look at creation, we see life created by God, who is Yahweh. Now just to prelude, this isn't Jesus, okay? We're going to see come face to face with God here. So it's the top of the funnel, all right? So in the beginning... Genesis 1.1, we know the verse. Best verse in the Bible, I think. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything launches out of that. If we don't believe the first verse of the first book of the Bible, it just doesn't make any sense. But in the beginning, God created, and we see life created by Yahweh. And we know something can't come from nothing unless that something is God. Anyone in here heard of Stephen Hawking? Stephen Hawking, huge, huge, huge atheist, prominent guy. Smarter than me by far. Smarter than all of us probably put together. I don't know. But here's a quote. I promise it's not taken out of context. He says, There would have to be something outside the universe to wind up the clockwork and set the universe going. There would have to be something outside the universe to set it all up. I remember watching with the uh, regeneration, the youth here, watched a movie on... um, 
called uh, by, by Ben Stein, ben Stein uh, on evolution. I forget the name right now. Expelled. And at the end, they have Richard Dawkins, another atheist, and he's like, he says, okay, he's talking all about this, uh, talking about evolution, how it happened, and, and he gets to the conclusion, he's like, I think something like aliens seeded us. But he said something along the lines of this idea of pamspermia. You guys ever heard of pamspermia? What a funny name, right? But what it means is, the earth was started by being seeded somehow with the necessary elements of life to evolve. Even atheists who don't believe in God say it had to come from somewhere. Everything had to come from somewhere. Maybe an outside galaxy of some sorts. They know these things. Creation points to a designer. Creation loudly turns our attention from ourselves. Okay, so in the beginning, God created everything. Now I know that's the Bible, so let's keep going. Let's, let's, get out, let, let's, let's look and see some more things, some more evidence for people who don't believe Genesis 1-1, right? So here we go. Roman, Romans 1, 19 through 20. We're going we're gonna to come from a God perspective of what people actually see. Um, verse 19 says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So when we look here, what can we know about God? It says right here in 19, his eternal power and his divine nature. In 20, his eternal power, divine nature. Think of that. His everlasting power and his, his, his God nature, his divinity. And then, it's been known since when? The creation of the world. How? In the things that have been made. What, what stuff around here has been made? I'll ask our friends that. Everything. Everything we see has been made. So where'd that tree come from? Or that rock where did the design of the universe, the earth, or even the intricate DNA structure of our bodies, where did it come from? How can something come from nothing? Let's just ask that question. And I think you come to the point of some sort of transcending being outside of everything, which would be God. By his eternal power, it says, and divine nature, which has been clearly perceived. So we start out with that. We know that something can't come from nothing. There must be a God. There must be a creator. And that's just the start. All right? We say, hey, there has to be something that created everything. All right? So that's the first part. But now we get, we're going down into the funnel. All right? Just, and then you say, bear with me now. Because a lot of guys will say, well, there's no God. Oh, but there's a God and we know it. Now, number two is history. History is the collection of information we have about what happened in the past. But where is God in history? So you take all the religious leaders. You, you take the prophets, the miracle workers, the great teachers, the religions that we have on record, and you lay them all out. You lay them out and you research them and you get the historical accounts. And out of history, one group of followers shines like a light. It's, it shows that there's this distinct God that sets them apart. Who is that? I'm going to say the Christians? No, I think it's the history of the Jewish people. Some of you guys are very familiar with them, otherwise known as the Hebrews, the Israelites, but they followed Yahweh. And history tells us this. From the Dead Sea Scrolls to the Talmud, 
These are all documents that we have today. They show that they followed Yahweh. So we can remember those, those articles, those extra biblical articles, these outside sources. They tell of the Jewish people. They tell of their accounts. We could show our friends this. It's not just the Bible, right? The Jewish people existed and their, and their pursuits and their fact that they had this God who actually took a bunch of ex-slaves while they wandered around without a homeland. Remember the story coming out of Egypt. Ex-slaves leaving. They f- fled Pharaoh and they wandered in the desert. How did they survive? This, this, this group where they had this distinct tradition, uh, this root of traditions, no tattoos, no shellfish, some, some, some very odd things to us, never cutting their beards, but they were different. They were distinct. They were led by God. They erected a tent which was said to have God himself there. God followed them in a cloud. God was with them. He was said to give them commands and direction. And, and let's just take God out of the picture, right? Let's take someone who's watching the Jewish people at that time. They survived wandering without a homeland. It's just amazing. Listen to what Mark Twain, an agnostic and self-acknowledged skeptic, uh, penned in, in, in 1899 in Harper's Magazine. He writes, The Egyptian, the Babylonian, and the Persian rose filled the planet with sound and splendor that faded to dream stuff and passed away. The Greek and Roman followed, made a vast noise, and they're gone. Other peoples have sprung up and held their torch high for a time, but it burned out, and they sit in twilight now or have vanished. The Jew saw them all. He beat them all, and is now what he always was, exhibiting no decadence, no infirmities of age, no weakening of his parts, no slowing of his energies, no dulling of his alert and aggressive mind. This last line. All things are mortal but the Jew. All other forces pass, but he remains. What is the secret of his immortality? This is in 1899. Mark Twain saw the, Jew, the legacy of the Jewish people. And actually, we can look at the Jewish history and be amazed. I think this is a, a huge example for people that Yahweh is special. There's something to the God of the Jewish people. Out, I'm, I'm saying taking it outside of the Bible. We're looking at the historical records. Not only the journey out of Egypt into the promised land, but they were exiled twice, the Jewish people. Babylonians, 586 BC. History books, exiled, kicked out. And then the Romans... I mean, we know this. We have brutal stories of what the Romans did in 70 AD. And the only nation to survive previous exile and then establish a national homeland again was the Jewish nation. Prophesied in Deuteronomy 31 through 5, and it was fulfilled in 1948. The nation that they have now is, is, is the Jewish people. They, they are established. And that happened in 48 after Mark Twain wrote all that. Man, just, just look at their history. So we can look at the history books of the God they worshipped, followed, and direct their lives around. And we could be amazed. And when we take a closer look from the Old Testament view, and, and really we have great stories of how God walked with the Jewish people and led them. Yahweh himself, we could even be more amazed. But I want to give us something that you know, our, our, our not yet Christian friends, those who don't trust this Bible, they can look at the Jewish people and their history. So the same God, Yahweh, the God of the Bible, 
is also said to be Jesus, according to the Bible. By the way, a lot of things that uh, I share, you guys know this. You're like, yeah, I know that Jesus is the God of the Bible. But I really want to kind of talk. Darren and I really want to, to, to bring this uh, at, in a way where we can learn how to dialogue better. We all want to get better at talking with our not yet believing friends, those who might be de-churched, unchurched, and biblically illiterate. And so some things explaining like words such as um, righteousness, I like to define. We try to do that in a community group. So like rightness or goodness. Uh, some of these words like sin even are very confusing in our culture. And so I like to use the word rebellion. But uh, I just say that because here I am, I'm, I'm saying it's God, Jesus, according to the Bible, is, is Yahweh, the God who became a man. But so often, people don't connect that, that God himself became a person in Jesus Christ. Something about that, just that he stepped down from heaven. I mean, he was always in heaven, but he came to earth, the person of Jesus. It's just riveting. He came to live and die for the world. So next, we have the history of Jesus. First is the history of the Jewish people. And then we go right into the history of Jesus. So the history of the Jewish people, how Yahweh led them, and the history of Jesus. Now, Darren mentioned in Acts 26, 26, how the king was like, Paul said to the king, this stuff has not happened in a corner. That's my my interpretation. But he said, this didn't happen in a corner. You know about Jesus. You know about what happened with the disciples. This stuff is not only in our Bible, but it's in our historical records as well. Because Jesus is a historical fact. And we want to tell our friends this. Even the most skeptical uh, people will admit that Jesus is a historical fact. Was he God? That's another question that they, they, won't, they won't admit that. They will say he existed. And so you have the Jewish people, some of them, who don't think he's God. Instead, he's a, he's a sorcerer. It's actually uh, referenced in Jewish historical records in the Talmud. Uh, there's, some, there, there, there's some discrepancy. There's some things where people say, well, maybe they, was, they weren't talking about Jesus. But there's things like this that are actually referenced in the, ta- the Talmud exactly by the Jewish people who hated Jesus. And yet they're referring to him as a sorcerer or a magician. So why would they put that in there? You could look at it further, but the Talmud. And not only are there Jewish historical records outside of the Bible... There's Roman and Greek records of Jesus. Tacitus, Pliny, and Lucius. Lucian. Lucian. And actually, modern skeptics, they don't dispute that Jesus was a historical figure. And one way that we can actually talk to our friends about it is this uh, kind of uh, pattern called Lord, lunatic, or liar. Sometimes we can walk them through that. Is God Lord, lunatic? Is Jesus a Lord, lunatic, or liar? Because if he said all the things that he said, right, and he was, he was wrong about it, then he's either a, a, a lunatic, or he lied to his disciples, or he's Lord. But you can't say he was a good person. And you can't just kind of leave it at that. And so when they're confronted with, well, was he a Lord, or lunatic, or liar, they have to make a decision. And history, including the records, don't dispute that he had many followers, and so we see that if he had followers, and he was a madman, he's a lunatic, right, or a liar, and they knew this, why would they continue to follow him and die to their deaths? So we tell them, look at the history of the disciples. That's kind of the 
point C under the second point, the history. So you have the history of the Jewish people, the history of Jesus, and then the history of the disciples. And these followers, they've been recorded in our historical records. Again, Josephus, Tacitus, Pliny, Lucian. We can look at the Bible and other records which speak of of Jesus' followers and what they said and did. And Jesus died at the hands of the Roman authorities. And Jesus was said to have come back from the dead in outside historical records. We see it. There's no getting around the fact that his closest followers all died, except one, for teaching about Jesus. So why would they die for someone they knew was a liar or a crazy person? Again, it wasn't a popularity contest. No one taught about Jesus to get money, yet Jesus said he would come back from death. And the soon-to-be martyred disciples taught that. They taught it. They continued teaching amidst persecution, amidst these things. They taught about the Jesus that was raised from the dead. If they knew him to be a liar or a madman, would they continue doing it? For what? Look at the disciples' lives. Their deaths proclaimed their beliefs that Jesus was God and he died and he rose from the dead. And it's in the history books. It's clear they died teaching these things. But did it really happen? Did it really happen? If it didn't, every Christian, we might as well just give up. Take the, take the uh, Christian fish off the back of our, our trunks of our cars. We should just stop reading the Bible and go join a country club of some sorts. Because if Jesus really didn't raise from the dead, then it's all worthless, right? Paul says that. Now we can look into history and we see that Jesus rebelled against all the norms. He was crucified. His followers claimed he came back from the dead and and they all lived and died to prove it. That's a testimony if I've ever seen one, guys. And so I love to just, to, to help people see this, that and these disciples continued to live on and on, preaching these things amidst no fame, Except for Jesus. Was he Lord? Was he lunatic? Was he a liar? I think it shows he was Lord. And their lives show that. So you have the Jewish records, the Roman records, the Greek, and the Bible all point to Jesus as more than just a man. Now those those references I mentioned, the the Talmud, um, Josephus, Pliny, all these guys, there's more than that. Those are just the main sources. There's some conflict. Some people will wrestle, hey, did he say this? Did he say that? But there's so much out there compared to the other um, articles of antiquity, the other, the other references of other people. It's, it's, it's a, a vast amount of historical records. So God shows us who he is in Jesus. And the Bible is the main detailed source. Okay? That's why we love reading the Bible with our not yet believing friends. Those who want to show who Jesus is. It's cl- it, it, it really is the details but history supports it. And the Bible supports our historical records. It really does. So you show the people, the Jews, Jesus, and the disciples. That's history. But now we come to the truth claims. Another way to put it, people are like, what? That's not truth. I don't believe it's truth. So you can say it's spiritual claims, right? But we think it's truth claims. So we look at the truth claims, the spiritual claims of God that are found in our historical records. And we see what Jesus' followers taught. We can really look to, to history and see kind of snippets of what they were teaching. And then we have details of what they were teaching. 
passed down to us. This is God's word and this is the teachings of his disciples and those closest to him. And these spiritual claims are not only in here, but we can also see them in history. And many would ask, how do we know the Bible is accurate? I just want to kind of do an aside here. Um, Again, we have historical records of various teachings, but then how do we know this is accurate? And I I would say there's, there's two quick ones you could tell people. One is creation, history, and truth. The same points as here. I think this talks about creation in a way that really is not explained in many other religions. It's a, a, a really good account. It's a better account than any atheist has of how we were created and how things came. Uh, then you have history. And we could walk through the history that lines up with the history we have um, in, in historical records. And then the truth claims are like no other in here. It's worth considering. How do we know the Bible's accurate? Because it's like no other book on the face of this earth. But number two, we can also say because you can get really bogged down here. If God is God, then he could, do you, do you, could you admit that he could create a book that would be exactly how he wanted it, written by men exactly how he wanted it to be? Consider it. God is God, then. Would you admit that if he could create the whole world, he could create this perfectly and be in our hands and a true testimony of who he is and what he's done? Okay, I can admit that, right? So, If you take a quick, a quick look at the truth claims, last point, these are radically different than anything on the face of the planet. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. I've seen books, they've compared Buddha's teachings to Jesus and other teachers. I have a lot of people say, man, Buddha's teachings just sound so much like Jesus. You know, and, and man, they both were smart men. And, and I love the, the dialogue with them on this. And it, it's true, there are some things that sound similar, right? Uh, to other teachers as well. But if you read the Bible in full, not piece by piece, the truth claims are very different. And we know this. And I like to say a good knockoff has aspects of the real thing, right? I mean, <laughs> really good knockoff does. So, so, and we all know, and we've heard this before, I think. Uh, uh, how, do you, how do you teach someone how to spot fake money? Well, it's the, to know the real thing well. They, they teach people to actually know the real bill, and then they could spot the fake better. There's thousands of fakes out there, but you study the real thing. And if you've never read the Bible in full, or our friends have it, they must. They must. And I said this last time, but if you've never looked at the story of the Bible in full and how it all fits together, you've never really read the Bible the way it was intended. To read a piece of it is like to read book six of the Harry Potter series. And be like, I'm not getting this story. You know, you think you, you just don't get it. It's also like coming into one of Jerry's messages 20 minutes late. You're like, what? What's going on here? And that's what happens when we, we jump right into it. And we're like, yeah, why is it saying this? Wait, I need to, it was intended to be read in full by us. That's how we understand Christ. That's how we understand the beginning of Genesis and how God's plan is working through the, 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 the history within the Bible and where we fit in right now and how we're looking to a hope of future restoration. Again, all these things we've talked about, the story of God, it's key. <laughs> so there's proof that these historical claims of the Bible um, within these claims, actually, and I think they scream at us that there's a God and he's the God of the Bible. He came, the God of the Bible created us, Genesis 1-1, right? He owes us nothing. 
We can read this in the book of Acts. We read this all throughout, that he owes us nothing. He answers to no one. He owns everything. He's powerful overall. He directs all. Just watch this, this movie on Noah. You know, the no, recent Noah movie. It's so, you know, it, there's a whole other thing about it. But the one thing that stuck out to me, it's all bad, but is, is that, it was, anyway, but is that God was distant. And, and, and Noah had to like kind of figure him out. He thought he had it figured out. But, but our God's not distant. Our God is intricately working from the first page to the last. And so we look at the God of the Bible who created us. He owes us nothing. He's overall, and yet he came to die for us. He cares for us. He wants a relationship restored between us and him. So this, this story, it's about him and, and really rescue. And he's distinct in that he says it's not about what we do for him, but what he's done for us. These, these truth claims are distinct. They're different than every other religion in the world. And so we want our friends to be pointed to these truth claims and really look and say, look at these. Find me something better than this. Find me something that makes more, more sense, more uh, heart, heart-wrenching amazement over the grace of God and his mercy throughout. And he gives these commands, yes. They're like, why are all these commands in the Bible? And it's, it's for our own good. We can point to these things. It's like a father is giving uh, uh, care toward his children. And yet the main message of the Bible is that God has done all the work. No other religion has a rescuing God like this. No other religion has a God who works for mankind like this. No other religion has a loving God who cares like this, a God who seeks and saves despite all our mess-ups, despite our rebellion. My, my Muslim friend, he's like, yeah, I have to, it's, it's like I'm, I'm pulling myself up by the, my boot, bootstraps. I don't even get that analogy very much, but I know what it means. It means he's working for himself. You know, he's got to work. He's got he's to do this kind of thing for God. He said it. He actually said that analogy. Like, he has to work. There's, a, there's, a, there's an earnestness, and he's confused at, at, at what I believe. So we've been dialoguing. But no religion is, shows a God like this. And just like, if you look at the distinctions within the truth claims of the Bible, Christianity is set apart. So, you have Jesus, who historically and biblically doesn't allow for us to say, Jesus shows the way to God along with the other guys. He doesn't allow us to say that. He doesn't say, he, he doesn't say uh, you, can, you can look to Jesus and you can look to other people, other gods, other great teachers. We talked about that two weeks ago. But also, he, and then he claims he's the only way. There's questions, though. There's questions that come up from our friends. What about uh, in the Bible? You know, God talks about hell in a way I don't understand. Homosexuality, sex, corrupt politics, hypocrisy, etc. Right? They throw out all these objections. You've just showed them that God, that God is shown in all the things made. You're showing them about how he's seen through the Jewish people, Jesus, his disciples, and then the truth claims. Them. They're like, but I don't get this about hell. I don't get this. What about homosexuality. It's just not working. I can't believe in a God like that. And I would say, despite the objections they have, the evidence really points to the God of the Bible. It does. And there's going to be objections all day, but he's the one who loves us and gave his life for us. He's the judge who also was judged. 
He was the judge who saves us from judgment. And he's the creator. He's, he's our king and he's our friend. This is stuff that's worth really considering. And though we have objections, it's worth considering. Let's get those objections. Hey, I have answers for that. Let's talk about that. But look, if God is God, he is worth following. He's brought this evidence. So what's the verdict? Are you willing to follow him or not? It really comes down to this. At the end of the day, this is where we stand. You're either going to follow him or you're going to reject and rebel against him. Follow or reject. Follow or rebel. It's really all it comes down to. There's no middle line. We want to plead with our friends. So here's four great questions to ask. Again, if you get little snippets of this and you could just put it into conversation, I pray that it, it serves. But here's one. What, what would it take for you to trust the God of the Bible? Just ask him that. What would it take for you to trust the God of the Bible? I'm just, I'm just curious. It's my favorite of the four. If, right here. If you were to find out that the God of the Bible was real, would you be willing to follow him? Would you be willing See, that shows. They might even find out that he's real and still not want to bow. Whatever, whatever belief you have now, do your reasons stand up to this scrutiny that you have toward Christianity? Right? Do they stand up to this scrutiny? You better have some reasons why you believe what you believe, right? Or you better consider Christianity. Number four, if you believe in your own form of religion, how do you know it to be true? And again, they better back it up. Or they need to consider the God that we have really clear proof, clear evidence. From creation to history to the truth claims. We can warn others to be careful in trusting their own intuition or feelings. Hey, it sounds a lot like you're trusting in yourself. Hey man, it sounds like you're really trusting in your own discernment on things. You really come up with this uh, kind of compilation of religions so many people i believe this i believe that oh and i love jesus too right it sounds like they're kind of being like god like they just made their own their own entity up you know it's like uh you know if i if i went and came up with uh you know like this part of this religion this part of this religion we could call it like ryan ryan entity it's like christianity but ryan entity, like following me you know my own way that's what people are doing they're just coming up with their own things they're piecing it together kind of like a uh, if they had a, a blanket and they just took a patch from one piece of material, a patch, from, and they're just sewn all together. This is it. But whatever spiritual belief they have, we can we can really encourage them toward this and and admonish them. If it even feels good, if it feels good, if it's not true, then what is it? If it feels so good but it's not true, what is it? It's, it's wrong. It's just wrong. It's a false teaching. It's false. And if that's the case, it's rebelling against, against the God who created you. It really is. I don't care what you believe. If it's wrong, you're rebelling against God. So we need to know. We need to seek after truth. This God who lived the perfect life that we can never live and died the punishing death we deserve. He was raised to life. And it wasn't, it wasn't just a, a story. It was this claim in our lives. We're called to follow him and Otherwise, it's rebellion. It's evil. It goes against love. just want to talk on this last thing. Friends love to say, God is love. I think he's all love, right? He is love. But, but follow this track. If, if, if we don't follow him, 
It's rebellion, it's sin, it's wrong, it's evil, and it goes against love. So to live a life apart from God, who is love, would be to live outside of love, against love. To live apart from God, the God who wants restored relationship, the God who is love, to live outside of that or against that would be actually to be against love. And so we need to be seeking after this God who we can admit with our friends, God is love. And then we can tell him the story of this love, that he loved us so much that he gave his life for us. This God of creation, history, and the Bible who's revealed himself. And so we can urge our friends to spend time looking into this God. We can walk alongside with them. Just to finish off, I want to read this quote from philosopher Thomas Morris. He says, Many people who spend weeks mastering a new video game, months learning a tennis serve, or years perfecting a golf swing, will not invest a few days or even a matter of hours in the effort to understand better some of the deeper questions about life. One has to love the truth to find the truth. The most important things in life rarely come to those who do not press hard after them. Not music, not literature, not athletic skills, not solid relationships. So we can urge our friends to press in because we want them to have restored relationship with their creator. The one who has, has crashed into, has broken into history, the story as we know it, and really has brought this truth and this claim on our lives like no other on the face of this earth, like no other God, whatever man creates. So we can urge him toward that. I'm going to pray and uh, we've got time for Q&A. So Father, we do want to uh, urge our friends to consider the claims that you have, have put on really this world, this, this claim to follow you, this, that we are called to follow, bow our lives to you. Lord, we want to make you famous. We want to bring worship to you. We want to go and tell our friends about you. And we want them to have restored relationship with you so that they will rejoice. Help us to do that, God. I pray for everyone in this room that we would have opportunities this week to proclaim to our friends of your excellencies that you exist, to proclaim of the hope that we have in you and to bring the gospel to them in a, in a way that they can understand. Help us to be clear. Help us to listen well. Help us to be bold. It's in your hands, God. Amen. Amen.